Encouraging Others Through Christ, podcast episode number 133. Entertaining, educational, and encouraging content that makes a difference. This is GSPN.TV. Join the community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Encouraging Others Through Christ. That's right, my friends. It has only been two years since the last episode of this podcast, but that's okay, because I had made a decision a couple years ago that I would only do new episodes of Encouraging Others Through Christ when I felt led to do so. And I am delighted and super excited that God has brought forth the opportunity for me to sit across the table from the man that I am sitting across from right now, Wayne Jacobson. Wayne, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Cliff? I have never been better, and it gets better every single day. And I am, uh, wow, I'm excited. We finally got to take this face-to-face. We've been uh, doing this online and various other ways. And we, we got to meet Saturday. You came down to some group we hung out with in Kentucky. And then uh, now we're face-to-face in your studio. What, yeah. what some nice digs you've got here. Well, brother. thank you, man. I, I tell you what, it's an extreme blessing. And I'm glad I had the opportunity to share with you just some of the story of, of where I've been over the last couple of years and how I got into here. But uh Wow, what a journey! Now, here's the deal: folks have been not—they've not heard anything. I, I saw your face. I was like, "Is it been two years?" Well, when you said 133, I'm thinking, "Well, that—that—that that, that, that sounds like I haven't been doing this in a while." I had not been doing it for a while. Wow! And it, you know, and it, a lot of it is because of this journey that I've been on. That, well, let's just put it this way: a lot of the time that um, this this podcast is now encouraging others through Christ is the combination of two different shows. Uh, there was the About the Church podcast, right. and I had the Almost Daily Devotional, and Almost Daily Devotional had 121 episodes, and the encouraging or the About the Church had 120 episodes, and I decided to combine them together, make it just one, just one podcast that is purely devoted to my faith and my faith journey and stuff like that, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, the reason why I created so much content before is because... It was it was one of those performance things. You know, it's like, man, the more of this stuff I create, the better I feel about myself and my devotion to God. Wow, that's wonderfully self-aware in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. And and when I when I experienced this freedom for the first time, it became encouraging others through Christ. And there were a flurry of new episodes. I was very excited about so many new things and I wanted to share them. No performance or, or feeling that is just, wow, I cannot withhold this from you. And then two years ago, it had been a while, and I did, hey, just want to let you know, a year later, I have not withered up and died spiritually. Here's a little checkup of where I've been, and uh, things are going extremely well. I've never been closer to God as my father and understand my understanding of how much he loves me, although I'm still working that out because I, I you know, I'm still on this path. But hey, at, at this point... I'm still outside, living outside of this institutional construct. I'm still very much alive in my faith and my relationship with God, more so than all the years prior. And uh, I just want to let you guys know that. So that was two years ago, and I felt so free to not record anything because, well, I just didn't have any special message on my heart that I felt needed to be shared outside of what I share naturally through the expression of my everyday life. Yeah, good. 
So yeah. people see this show up on their their uh, iPhone or whatever, they're going to have uh, heart failure or what? <laughs> Where did this podcast come from? Well, I mean, you you took a hiatus from podcasting for a little while. How uh, how did people deal with that? Not two years, but yeah, <laughs> not two years. I hope they dealt fine with it. We, you know, podcasting is not what I do. It's simply a tool that we've used to help communicate some things with folks and. Um, we, Brad and I, we started it together. We just said, Hey, we'll do it as long as it feels right. And then we'll knock it off. And it went through some transitions with it. And I've, I have taken the time and I, I've been just freshly through kind of a winter season, which was one of my big themes from growing up in a vineyard and the whole idea of winter where God just kind of cuts things back to be fruitful. We're not fruitful all the time. We don't have to always be on the edge of whatever new thing God's about. So I, I've had a wonderful winter season where God's kind of got to cut away a lot of fluff from all the shack stuff and other things in my life to kind of restage me for a, a third act, I think in my sixties. So we'll see. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for me, you know, it, podcasting is what I do yep. and, and I have taken two years off from this, but you know, um, every single week, Stephanie and I put out family from the heart and we live out our, our journey very much in that podcast. And so the people who most everybody who's ever listened to this, had come to it as a result of listening to one of the other shows. And so a podcast answer man might, you know, by, without really, you know, intentionally hitting people over the head, I, I live out my faith yep, in my business too. And I love, I love that. And and so in a way I, you know, it, it, it is, you know, it's like, this is the place where I'm going to come if I just want to have a flat out Jesus conversation without kind of getting in people's face that didn't really want to hear it in the first place. Yeah, that's good. So this 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 feed or this subscription is for those who want to hear the Jesus stuff. And uh, anyway, so well, I'm honored to we'll kick it off again after two years. Absolutely, and and who knows what this kicking it off may entail? You know, we yeah, absolutely may see some stuff. I I am feeling uh, some calling and stuff in in some certain areas. That I don't know what they are. Some stirrings going some on. Some stirring That's going good. on. That's I good. I like it. But anyway, I want to talk about uh, finding church, Wayne. Um, most people who have been following, encouraging others through Christ, I realize there's going to be a whole flurry of brand new people. Uh, by the way, if you are re- brand new to encouraging others through Christ, this podcast, I want to encourage you to stop listening right now. Wait, wait, wait a second. Don't don't stop yet. Wow. My work here is done. You, Wayne's work is done. No, stop. Li- after you hear these instructions, go back to episode 121 of this podcast and then listen to it from all, and then make your way to episode 133 because it is an amazing journey of of just so many breakthroughs you're going to actually hear Wayne two other times on this podcast in conversations that are kind of precursors and so if you will this is a continuation of a conversation Wayne and I have been having over the last 3 years so um i i would encourage you right now if you're brand new go ahead and stop Go back to episode 121 and just listen through and then come back to today's episode and uh, and stuff like that. So And, and you really didn't do it, did you? You, go, you just kept listening. <laughs> you just kept listening. I can catch that later. I'll go do it later. That's cool too. <laughs> so anyway, finding church. So I found Wayne, now that most everybody has gotten caught up, I found Wayne as a result of a book that my friend Sarah brought over. Uh, actually, it's my uh, wife's best friend, Sarah, brought over this book called So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. And it was actually right at a time where I pretty much didn't want to go to church anymore. Although I would have never used that phrase. I would have never spoken those words out loud. I never would have allowed myself to actually even consider the idea. Scandalous word. Of not going to church anymore. But I was sick and tired of it. Mm. And so I, I was shocked to see Sarah, who is a fellow 
uh, who is who is who is um, also a recovering people pleaser, and who is also a recovering well very performance based Christian person myself herself. She had this book in her hand. I'm like, what are you doing with such a scandalous titled book? And uh, I read that book, and I read it at the same time I was reading Redeeming Love, and and well, the rest is recorded in these episodes. But you, it wasn't until probably about a year and a half ago, Wayne, that I I got around to reading He Loves Me. And was that written before, or when did you write He Loves Me? Yeah, way before So You Want a Church Anymore. Okay. Yeah, it was over 15 years ago. It was it was the biggest part of my journey. And I'd say to people, that's the most important book I'll ever write. It's moving from an appeasement relationship with God to an affection-based one. Well, you know, it was it was quite some time that, bef- you know, during my journey of once I walked into this freedom that I'm in, um, th- it had been some time between uh, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore, listening to lots of podcasts from you, until I finally got to He Loves Me. And it, and I think it just happened at the right time Good. for me to read that book. And it's like, okay, it's time to, it's time to go to the next level with this thing. And uh, loved that book. Mm. Loved that book. And, and told everybody about it. Guys, go get that book. And now you've written another book. And I didn't think it, this book is amazing. It's, it's hot off the press too. This is this is the first time I've traveled with it. It's the first time I've had a copy out with me. So I am holding a, in my hand a book called Finding Church, and I think you have a, a website called FindingChurch.com. We do. So you can go over there and find it at FindingChurch.com. And you, before you came to town, you sent me a PDF copy of this, and I I read the entire thing, and literally, it, I mean, it, of course, it is electronic, but I I had a hard time putting it down. <laughs> Good. It is great, and it and it basically is an understanding of the journey that I've been on for three years, and I can I can say that I read this and I'm I'm like in verbal agreement, nod or in physical agreement, nodding my head, yes, yes, exactly, and, and there wasn't a whole lot in there that I hadn't either heard you say on your podcast through the books that you've read or experienced through the spirit. Uh, leading me during through many conversations with people down the road. But how would you describe this book to folks? I think the tagline is the best way to, to describe it. It says, what if there really is something more? Who of us haven't, even if we love the system where the congregation we're part of, haven't sat there at times say, is this really all Jesus had in mind when he talked about the church? When Paul talks about the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So You Don't Want a Church Anymore is a weird title because I'm using church in the title in a different way than I use it throughout the whole book because I think church is an endearing term. It's a term that speaks of a family of God that lives differently in the world and by the way they live unpacks the reality of God for people who don't know him. But what we ended up with was a lot of human institutions that claim to be the church. It's, got, it's, on, the, it's on the marquee out front. We're a church. You got to know that. And yet it was more old covenant. It was more old creation systems than it was the new creation taking hold in human hearts. Because the argument in this book is we don't need another system. It's not another church system we get to use. What we need is a different kind of person that lives at the pleasure of Christ and his complement in the world through his affection that allows people then to see a different demonstration of this church. So this is the community of the new creation, what it looks like. And that's not pro-congregation, anti-congregation, it transcends all the things that we humans have done. And so it's not a new system. It's a different way to look at the church. You know, the interesting thing for me is that when I read this, I was actually a little bit 
shocked at how uh, how much this actually was applicable to those who do still love their institutional Sunday gatherings. You know, the, it, 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 it did not demean them in any way. It didn't say, there is nothing in here that says you should not belong to one of these. And, no. you know, you, and you can find life in Christ. You can be the church inside the institutions that some people call the church. Yeah, the confusing thing is because I sat in a pew at Sunday morning at 10, I went to church. The reality is church is the connection God gives us with other brothers and sisters. So if you're just walking into a meeting and walking out, you're still not engaged with the church. It's the relationships you have, which many pastors will say more church goes on as people come in and go out of the parking lot than actually happens in the meeting itself. And I think that's a pretty honest way to say it. Yeah. But I've been excited by just the pre-reading of this. I have a friend that, that has read this that understands my journey well. He was talking to an Old Testament professor from the Mennonite congregation, from a Mennonite seminary, actually who, uh, as he was telling some of the stuff about the book was just saying, I got to read this, man. We're, 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 reconsidering some things in our own makeup of our institution. And man, some of the stuff you're saying might be really helpful to us. Can I read the book? And this is before, it was just PDF copies. You didn't have anything out. And I, anybody sent a PDF copy to, I swore on, you know, Bible, they'd only share it with their spouse, no one else, or I'd hunt them down and hurt them kind of thing. And so he calls me and says, this guy, can I give him a copy? I said, yeah, absolutely. Give him a copy. So he sent the PDF over to him. He calls me uh, two weeks ago. I'm driving back from uh, an engagement with some folks in California, and he called me. He said, your ear's burning this morning. I said, no. Why? He said, you were mentioned from the pulpit in the Mennonite church in Fresno, California. And I said, was it good or bad? He said, it was amazing. This guy got up. He's 84 years old. He's a retired Old Testament professor emeritus from Mennonite Seminary. And he said, somebody just gave me this book by Jacobson. And as soon as it's out, I want every one of you to go out and buy this thing. This is the most provocative book I've ever read. I've only considered the church institutionally my whole life long. Jacobson gives me a way to think about the church. And every page I was screaming, this is right. Yes. And when it has that kind of resonance, I knew it resonates with the audience that's God Journey live stream, you know, where my life hangs out. But my hope was this invites all of us, no matter how you view, see church, this invites us all into a larger conversation. Because if it was God's desire, and this is what Paul says, he wanted to bring all things together under one head, Christ. That's the church. Yep. And we've what we've done with it is we've got it in hundreds of thousands of different entities that often don't even communicate with each other. And how this congregation views church is very different how that and who they recognize as leaders, they don't. What is the larger conversation that allows us to fulfill the ambition of God for the church, which is to bring all things together under one head, which isn't me and isn't an organization, it's Jesus himself. Yeah. And that's the only hope for it. Absolutely. And there, matter of fact, you talked about the, um, there are a couple quotes that I had pulled out of, right. or at least lines here. I like knowing what people resonate with. Here's, right? here's some things that I resonate with. So or first of all, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the rustic garden had been turned into a lecture hall, making it more useful to tourists uh, while destroying the purpose for which they'd come. So you told the story about going to Jerusalem, the Holy Land. This and, is Gethsemane today, not when, yeah. Yeah, so so tell tell a little bit about that story and how what you had experienced and, and what the purpose of going there was for and how you connected with it, how you were so excited to share that experience with Sarah when you went back again many years later with her, but the original purpose for which you went there, um, it kind of lost its sense of purpose by what the, what had happened. Yeah, if you've been to Jerusalem, there's the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane is still intact from the day Jesus was here, not the whole of it, but pieces of it. 
there's a public side that's just, you know, a big, it's a big building with a rock and we don't know which rock it was, but they, you know, and it's crowded, it's packed with tourists getting in there to wait in line. There's a private side to the garden that some Franciscan or Dominican order runs by appointment. You can get a tour group in there. And I was there 17 years ago and it was just four four walls around this very natural old garden. It's got 2000 year old olive trees. It didn't have pathways really. You just kind of meandered through them. There was a big rock in the back where we, we sat on as we looked at Temple Mount, which is right above you. And we talked about the cross. And we talked about what happened. I was that, that could be that rock. It's just as much that that could be the rock Jesus prayed in as the one that's in the building on the public side. Cause no one knows these things. And, uh, I, one of the things what Sarah and I always said, after I got back from that trip, I would take her someday. And it took me 17 years to find, okay, I'll put a live stream tour together. I mean, I hate these kinds of tour things, even <laughs> though we had a great time when we were there and the people that came were incredible, but just getting people up and heard it on a bus and, you know, it's not my deal. And, uh, but this was the last day we we're going to the garden of Gethsemane and I, Sarah's a gardener, she loves gardens. I couldn't wait to get her there. And I want to show her that rock. And I want to, we walked in the gate to the garden and it was completely different. There were rock lined pathways that went through all the trees that was, that weren't there when Jesus was there. I guess my feeling the first time I was there of all the places I've been in Israel, this was probably the most authentically like it was when he was here. I, I want you to reef. Can you do that phrase one more whole time? authentic i don't know what did i say this when we walked through this path the way it was before it was the most authentically like it was that day the way when jesus would have been there yes and now it's not it's recreated to be a tourist friendly site and the the worst i I went back to see if at least maybe the rock is still there went to the back of the garden and not only is the rock gone it's been covered over with a patio built into an amphitheater with at least a, a two foot by three foot podium on a metal pole at the front because that's it's now to teach seminars in. It's been institutionalized. So if people want to come there to see what was this like when Jesus stretched himself out of rock to pray his way into the confidence that I can get through the next day of my life, which is his death. And now they come and it's just another lecture hall for people. And I, it was that thing of, I, I, I was so disappointed to take Sarah there from being the most excited to the most disappointed because we had made it lecture friendly and less authentic to what it had really been. And, and for me, when I read that in this book, it and that's rem- the opening. Yeah. That's the opening of the book. It is. So when, I know you've read the first page, Cliff, but that's all I know. Okay. <laughs> When I read this, I, it reminded me of when my wife and I left this big mega church, institutionalized church here in northern Kentucky, and we had decided, you know what, let's give something different a try. We had read this book called Simple Church. I know you you know about that because sure. I think that's even mentioned by a name in the book. Uh, but anyway, so or it's mentioned somewhere. I've heard you talk about it. But anyway, we found uh, that the ex-worship pastor from this mega church had created another church that is community-driven, small groups, and stuff like that, and they're meeting on the weekends in a high school gymnasium, and we wanted something that was more like the type of things that you would have experienced back in Jesus' day, you know, that, that you know, kind of like, you know, what the garden was like, may have been like when Jesus was there. That's what kind of, we wanted to have that kind of church if you will that that type of interaction with other believers and so we went to this new uh institution uh but it wasn't necessarily institutionalized yet it was very much raw relationships 
people who were different and a little bit awkward, some of them, including myself. Uh, but yet we really got over all of our differences and in spite of all the things that sometimes we did that that kind of, you know, it's, it's, we were playing church, if you will, because we were doing what all the grown-ups had done all the years before. So we did the Sunday morning, you had the music, you had the kids. But it wasn't about those things. Right. It was about the relationships. And my wife and I, I'm like, wow, that book called Simple Church, that's what we were looking for. This is this. I mean, we started leading a small group in our home, and it was just like what I had hoped New Testament Christian life would be like. Wow. But over the next couple years, just like this story, you know, some paths kind of said, you know what, let's clean this up and put some, you know, some concrete paths here. And you know what, this rock, it's kind of in the way. Let's move it and put some seating in here. And and before you know it, this all the all of the traps and and all the systems and all the structures it, it we, over the course of 5 years this congregation became a smaller version of what we left yeah and that's been true i mean the congregation i planted in 1980 we were going to be an alternative relational fellowship of community house churches it turns into the same thing cuz and i think this book wrestles with once we put something in a conformity based environment it ends up going ways we don't foresee and in the end, don't enjoy. It becomes less an authentic replication of, of what the church is. It's just because it, we move from, is the church something we build for Jesus or is the church something that Jesus builds for us? And he brings those engagements into our lives. When we try to create our own version of it, it can be great for a, a number of years when relationships are more important than structure. But eventually that flip happens and the structure becomes more important than the relationships. And that's when it kind of all turns bad on us. And I think we've got 2000 years that show us that's true. Yeah. Well, you know, I have been on this journey for three years. God has seen fit to bring me in the path of a lot of people who are on this journey. I, I recognize and realize I, I hear you talk all the time about the people who really struggle once they've left the institution. How do I find other people? And I, I certainly struggled with that for about two or three months, but it wasn't very long before. But it's because I had built in such a public platform, you know, and and you know I've, I've got things out there, and out of the thousands that are were listening to this podcast, a couple of them were on the journey, and and they that actually they said, did you know Wayne Jacobson actually has a podcast called The God Journey, and that's how I found the podcast. Oh my gosh! And so so I was very blessed. I've been very blessed to 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 have these relationships with people. But the question that a lot of people have is, you know, I we we met somebody recently this past Saturday. Her and her husband are very much plugged into their congregation, um, homeschooling couple. So their homeschooling is associated and plugged into the curriculum and materials and and the fellowship of that institution as well, that congregation as well, um, and all of their social connections friends and stuff like that seems to be connected there and yet they express that i don't feel called to come and do this anymore and and they're like but if i pull away from this how do i find this life and and one thing that really struck me um you said some estimate as many as 3500 people leave their congregations every single day 
That's a lot. That's shocking, but uh, it's it, it's true. I mean, people are giving it. Some of those are going to other congregations. That's that's a net. I mean, that's not a net loss. That's yeah. just people leaving a congregation. So some of those end up elsewhere. But the rise of the nuns, the rise of those who don't identify with a specific denomination or congregation anymore is, is rising to a level that even those who champion those things are worried and holding symposiums and seminars. And what do we do to you know, build a better mousetrap or to get people back in here? Because w- when you see those institutions equal church, then when you hear statistics like that, you're thinking, wow, people are leaving the church. What I'm finding is people don't leave the church just because they leave their congregation. They may leave that for for good reasons. Some of them are very legalistic. Some of them are just bored. I've been through this ritual a million times. I'm looking for a better connection to Jesus than I'm finding here. Some are downright abused by the kinds of things that go on in some congregations where leadership is authoritative and destructive. But I find where do people start? I just love the next person in front of you. It, yeah. it, it can be your neighbor, the world. You don't know who God's planted around you and who to love. And we, we've loved neighbors. Sarah and I have moved three times since we've been on this journey and move where we don't know anybody. And we just start by loving the people that are in front of us. And within a few weeks, months time, you end up having friendships. You end up connecting with people. My daughter, when she was living, has moved into a new community, mother with small, a, a small child, just had one. And she was saying, how do I find a fellowship? I mean, you and mom raised us in a congregation, other young mothers. I'd like other young mothers. And I just, I don't know, let's ask Jesus. Why does he want to do this for you? Maybe you do want to go to a congregation for a time and have some young moms that you get to know. Maybe that's an answer for you. And she didn't feel like it was, but she just prayed about it. We, she was in a supermarket one day. She heard the two ladies in front of her who obviously knew each other waiting at the checkout line. And they were talking about some kind of organized play date that was going on the next day they were excited about. And Julie kind of caught that this was not just two moms, but something bigger than that. So she said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, wait, are you guys talking about play date tomorrow? Is that kind of a thing you're a part of? Is that just you guys? They said, oh, no, it's a mom's club here in the, whatever city she was in. And uh, we get together once a month. We do things together and just moms. And she said, is it like uh, from a church or something in town? They said, oh, my goodness, no, none of us are religious. And Julie said, well, can I come? And she had a six-month-old at the time. I said, yeah, come. So she came to the group, loved it, and, I mean, got into those relationships I think at least between a half and a third of those have come to Christ in the nine years Julie's been part of this. She'd been president twice. She'd done the newsletter. When she had her last child, three weeks of meals came from the family she knows through this network of people. That's become their church. Half of those still don't know who Jesus is, don't have a clue. But those that have come to Christ, those that have experienced the life that Julie's kind of helped them discover, they, they share fellowship, life. It's an incredible thing. And so how can God provide fellowship? There's a million ways God provides fellowship. It's just, how are you doing it for me? And I think the best way to find is just start loving people. Yeah. Stranger in front of you in the store. Maybe just take an interest in them. Ask them some questions. Love your neighbors down the street. Call colleagues at work. Take somebody out to lunch. Figure out who they are beyond their work self. Yeah. And you'll be surprised how many people have spiritual hungers that even though if they're not active religiously, they're active thinkers in their heart about who is God, where is God, how do I connect with them? I mean, when you're free to love people in the world, you never know what kind of conversation or connections you'll end up in. You know, one of the things that I, I loved on the beginning of this journey into the freedom uh, area of my life was that I had, at the same time, read the book um, it, Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. And I was telling you about that in our yeah. conversation earlier. And it's it's a modern re-de- retelling, modern day retelling of the book of Hosea. Only the modern day portion of it is back in the gold rush days of San Francisco, California, Anyway, but this guy lived out and he was out like two or three hours 
buggy ride from San Francisco, which, by the way, was, you know, all sticks, stick buildings at the time. So they did have a church uh, institution, uh, you know, the, the corner church in San Francisco, but it's not something he traveled to every single weekend. And so this is a man who lived solitary by himself in the middle of this wilderness, you know, tilling his land and, and, and bringing forth the fruit and all this stuff. And so um, he lived out this life of faith and he did visit these towns and he had relationships with people, business people in town, a banker and all these different things. And and then all of a sudden, what I learned through the, through this is like, this is a guy who is obviously very devoted to a relationship in Christ. He is definitely a member of the church. And his experience of fellowship is anybody who comes along the path on the journey from one town to the next. And sometimes those people were Christians and they would worship together. Sometimes they were non-believers. And it wasn't like, oh my gosh, let me t- tell you the gospel message with my four, my uh, little pocket here. I got the track here on the four spiritual laws. It wasn't like that at all. It's just like, how can I love you? Let me give you a place to sleep tonight. Let me feed you a meal. You know, it was it was just let me love you where you are. And the contrast, I think, in this book is the difference between the church that we build, that men and women build by their own ingenuity and affections. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. There's no bad motives, and we're going to try and build Jesus' church for him. Or the fact that we really trust that Jesus knows who I need to be connected to, how he connects us, how that relationship grows. And so it really comes down to, do we really trust that Jesus builds his church or is it an assignment he left us to do for him? And I, I've been increasingly one into the space that the kinds of connections, collaborations, and friendships that begin at his leading, at his direction, it's, it, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to set us in the church. It's not ours. It's his. So can he do it? And I think the temptation of the Garden of Eden was does God really care? And will he really take care of us? And no, so we better do it ourselves. And I think the temptation with religion is, is God engaged with us, involved with us? And can Jesus build his church around us? Or is that something we're supposed to do for him? That The answer to that question is going to take you two very different directions. Yeah. I, and I love the, again, only showing you that I've read the first chapter. No problem. But, but you, you said, what if actually, you know, the question is, is how, how well, you, you asked the question, how well today is Jesus doing at building his church? I love that you go into some con- congregations and you ask them that question. There used to be pastor's conventions. I don't get asked to speak a lot at those anymore. But now with this new book out, there is some rumblings now. With We've got some pastors who would like to struggle with the content of this. I'm going, well, that, that could be a flashback to an old past. But yeah, it really, do we have an understanding of how God does this? And if we're going to say the church is his responsibility then and ask, well, how well is he? He's been at it for 2,000 years. How well is he doing? And most pastors I know, most honest ones, even if they feel really good about their deal, mm-hmm. they're looking around going, man, the church has, if we, if, it, if, we defi- if we put that label on what man has built, it's the most divided time in our society it's by ethnic group by worship preference by whatever the church is not a group of people that have learned to be loved well by the father and love each other well that's not what the world is saying about what we call church but it is his church his church is where people do are loved well by him and do love others well and that may there, there may not be a sign on the corner where that exists 
that will exist in some congregations. There'll be people like that. There are people who've given up on those congregations. You'll find it among them too. You know, you talk about divisive. It's the most divisive morning, uh, day of the week uh, anywhere in America. And, And it is true because I was a part of the Nazarene church. And, you know, I remember when I was... When I had just gotten into the Nazarene Church, and I, I had come back to faith, and and when I started to get involved in ministry, I was re- listening to a lot of radio broadcast, and so I would listen to R.C. Sproul, I would listen to, to- Dr. Tony Evans, um, I would listen to Chuck Swindoll, I would listen to all of these different things, uh, and and I listened to Steve Brown. All right. And quite so a group. it's quite a group. I, and I was listening to all of that. I was like, I was hungry for a deeper understanding of who this God is that, I, that I've got this relationship with. And I was loving that. And then I felt called the ministry. And when I felt called the ministry, the church that I was in said, well, you need to study to become a pastor. And this is how you do that. I started signing up for all this distant training courses through Nazarene Bible College, and the next thing you know, all of a sudden, I learned the differences between Wesleyan Arminian faith and Calvinist and all this other stuff, and I'm thinking, oh, Calvinist, that, and, and, and it's like, here's why we're right, and here's why Calvinists are heathen, and, and you know, and all this stuff, they're, they're, they're heretics, it's like, it's like, and all of a sudden, I, I, I remember, I need to stop listening to Steve Brown. I need to stop listening to so and so. I I only need to I should only be listening to people who are teaching the truth, which is what my Nazarene manual tells me. Right. And that's truth. going on at the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church, the Charismatic Church. We've got it right. Yeah, there are brothers and sisters, but they don't right have it right like we have it right. And and it wasn't even that Wayne, but I was I was the Nazarene Church in Highland Heights. And we were better than the Nazarene Church in Newport. And that's why we did not want to merge together, even though it would have been very helpful and beneficial to them. But we chose not to because we're better than that. And I'm like, what? Yeah, in the old creation, we're competitors. In the new creation, we're colleagues and we're brothers and sisters. And in one, we've got to always define our distinctive. What what group doesn't start with, here's our statement of faith. And this is what makes us different from that group over there. And not just different, better. That's what different means. Different means better. And how does that help what God wants to do by bringing all things together under Christ? How does that help? When I've been, since I've been on this journey, Wayne, I can tell you right now that I have had some amazing, very deep relationships with people who uh, came from the Mennonite faith. People, some of my closest friends uh, are, you know, one is a Catholic priest in the Netherlands. Another very close friend of mine is a very devoted person to the Greek Orthodox Church, and I mean, they observe everything that that church observes. Um, and you know, from Pentecostal Assembly of God, people. I just met a couple and had lunch with a couple from the that are very much a fan of the Toronto Blessings and Brownsville Revival, which Hank Handegraaff tells me is a counterfeit revival. You know, and all this other And you know what? It doesn't matter because. What I have ex- what I have experienced since walking in freedom and being outside of this box of what labels do I place and what is my statement of faith, I've d- I've found that I can have a relationship with people who have a relationship with Jesus, and that's where we start. And that becomes the most important thing. I spent the day yesterday with a a man from the Methodist Seminary down in down in Wilmore, 
And it just, there's so much we hold in common. What we see differently becomes almost unimportant. That what it is to know him, to live in him, to celebrate that life, that that's the basis. We've had a lot of ecumenical movements during my whole lifetime. I'm 60, so I've watched it in my 20s. And how we get these institutions to massage their doctrine so we can at least have some unity of doctrine? Or, or how do we... How do we deal with these two different denominational offices? And so these ecumenical movements, all of them fail because they're based on we're protecting something that is dear to us. The only hope for the church being one is in relationships with people that are willing to reach across lines and realize that what we that we have the same father and the same older brother is more important than whatever, however I like to express my eschatology, ecclesiology or anything else. And those are the, for me, those are the relationships that matter. I'm like, you, I've got, I've got relationships across the whole strata of the church uh, what we call the church. And I, I, I am enriched by all of those people. If they know the God I know, yep. they don't even have to be very far on the journey or they can be down further than I am. I'm enriched by the knowing of them. I'm enriched by letting them talk about things. I may not see the same way, but I get to contemplate if, 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 if the church is the multifaceted wisdom of God, which Ephesians 3.10 says it is, then I get a piece, you get a piece, someone else gets a piece. And when our pieces get together, yeah, we see something bigger than any one of us see alone. That's what I love. When you and Brad talk on the God Journey podcast quite a bit, you, you come up with the elephant analogy. You know, somebody's holding the trunk. Somebody's holding one of the legs. Somebody's holding one of the tusks or whatever. Or and, the tail, yeah. Yeah, So, it's, it, and it's very much like that. And so, I, yeah. It's I'm, an old proverb. And everybody's sure what they've got is the whole thing. And so they say, no, no, it's not like that. It's like this. And they don't realize. And I yeah. I think what Jesus, if, if Jesus is building his church for 2,000 years and it's still a mess, then he's not very good at this job. Yeah. But if his church thrives in the world, which is my experience, even and in spite of all the ways we've tried to build it on our own, the gospel continues in the world. People still come to get to know him. And if we could let go of our affinity of finding false identity in the institutions or theologies we've been a part of and find our identity in him alone, we'll find our connections with each other. And I, I think that's our hope for the church to become one in the world. Yeah. And one of the one of the things that I'm most thankful for on this journey that I've been on is that I very quickly got out of, you know, well, I'm now right because I'm no longer a part of the institution <laughs> because that's no different than just being my own little denominational. My theology is no institution, right? Well, it's like the guy that was stranded on the desert island. He's got two shelters built there. And the guy who comes to rescue him said, what's that shelter? I said, oh, that's my church. I go to that. He said, what's the other one? Oh, that's the one I left. <laughs> that's, kind of, <laughs> that's kind of where this this trajectory of church history go we become more and more isolated more independent more on our own yeah when jesus is inviting us into more connection greater collaboration and realizing that if we loved each other the way we're loved by him then the whole world would come to that's as easy as jesus said it so and and it goes back to that question a lot of people who are just leaving the institution to find this life of freedom in christ they are seeking they feel like i must find other people who also are fed up with that way. Uh, they they must find somebody else who who thinks the way they do, and and I felt that way for a long time. But yeah. but man, now it's like you know what the conversations that I have. I, okay, I'm still asked quite often by people. So where do you go to church? And my answer today is the same place you do, wherever it gathers. <laughs> and 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 we have a little bit of that. And and I don't actually go out of my way unless they press me 
I don't even go out of my way to tell them that I don't belong or uh, associate with a with a, a, con- a local congregation. I don't even go there unless they press me. And when they do, I try to get the conversation off of that as quickly as possible because I've realized that, that that's not the important thing. The important thing is who are you? What do we share in common? What how can I help you? Yeah, you know, how how can I be a friend to you? It's a great expression, I think, of the transformation. Because, yeah, certainly we, we've been raised in conformity-based things. So when we finally feel like, oh, this no longer works for me, I do want to find my group. I want to find my herd because I found my identity in that. And the freedom you're talking about, I love when people get to the place of, well, all who belong to him are part of the same church. It's not where I go or don't go. And the, the language gets away from being a reaction to the problems of religious groups. And it really gets to who he is and how we know him and how we serve and love each other. I love, but it's a transition. People first yeah. get out of that. They're going to, for a while, they're going to look for a common group or they're going to grab onto some new structure to replace this hole in their life until that one fails them too. And then maybe it took me 40 years to finally come to the place of going, you know what? I'm going to trust Jesus to build his church. I'm just going to love people. And I live more church today without a system around me than I ever have when I was trying to build my own version of it. And it wasn't that I wasn't well-intentioned. It wasn't trying to do good for people. I was all that. But the difference was it was human effort rather than cooperating with what Jesus is doing to build his church. And that's, so if we're going to find church, we're, we're going to realize it's the fruit of something rather than the source of it. So I don't go to church to find Jesus. I find Jesus and learning to live in him. I'll see his church springing up all around me. And and I think that's what this book invites people to discover. Even if that's in a traditional car, you may be going, sitting through services, bored out of your minds or unconnected to people. What if you let him just start connecting to some of the people that are sitting right next to you, right in front of you in the pew and Take them out to lunch and begin to talk about where this journey is and what you connect in Jesus. And when that becomes more real, then you're going to feel more connected to his church. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I did read through this entire book, Wayne. I, I know you did. And it, it, yeah, I know you know. But um, the interesting thing is, is that I've been listening to you and the God Journey podcast for three and a half years now. And I would say that most everything that's in this book, I've heard you say on one shape form or another because uh, you oftentimes share the conversations you have with people throughout the world and, and and whenever you come back from your trips you share sometimes recorded conversations and the conversations you and brad have had but one thing i can tell you is that so much of what i've been able to absorb over the last three and a half years is really condensed and fine-tuned uh in in a way through all the chapters in here you, i mean you got the entire chapter on one to love I mean, it's taken me a whole a whole long time to understand what that means to be one to love, but it's clearly identified in this chapter. You know, loved into life, the family way, talking about the fact that we're family. That you know, there, there is no obligation to be a part of this family. It's just we're family. You know, there is no, there is no, there doesn't have to be that structure around it. Um, you, I love the fact that it's not made with hands. That we don't need another structure. This is just something that God's going to organically happen, and it's not that it's an organic movement that we have to build or anything. Most organic movements are still us doing it. That's the seven steps to organic stuff needs to be an ox, the oxymoron it is. I loved how you talked about the, the authority, you know, the fact that some people are elders and stuff like that. And some people are apostles, or if you want to have that kind of description of what those roles are, but it's not because somebody gave, you know, voted them into that position. Uh, and those people operate within the church throughout the world 
and there those people are in your life i i consider you to be and i and i know for you i, I it's like you're you're ready to whenever god would let you you're just like i don't have to be this upfront in the in in the public figure kind of guy anymore but you, in a way you are a messenger you are you're a pastor to many people who listen to you you're uh, you're uh, an elder who comes along po- people in their journey and and asks them you know hey what's going on how can i help and 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 you're there to do this, but it's not because you're not those things because are you? It's not that you can't have those relationships within the church because there's no structure. Oh yeah, in fact, I think there's a problem when we're most of what we call elders today are elders of institutions. Mm-hmm. They're not elders in a kingdom. Just like when your your agenda went from growing in Christ to I've got to preach the Nazarene message. So now I'm a pastor of a Nazarene church rather than I'm a gift among the body of Christ. Yeah. I think people eld better when they're eldering people, and not that's not an authority thing, as the book will unpack. That's a servant thing. But rather than when they're, when I was eldering an institution, all of our meetings were about this thing and what we have to do to fix this thing. It was never about serving people to connect them to Jesus in a way that would transform them. Yeah. So. Well, and of course you have the, the whole, is it possible to, to have this church without all the control? Yeah. You know, it's like, well, are people just going to go to the wayside? Are people going to be uh, deceived by lying spirits and and false theology and stuff like that? And and the, it goes back to the question you you asked the, the, a lot of those pastors: How well is Jesus doing building His church and uh, turning to Him and not holy men in the in an institution to teach you how to live according to His ways? Uh, but anyway, folks, I encourage you to go and get Finding Church at findingchurch.com, an amazing book. Um, and, uh, you know, you you spend, uh, chapter 21 has the difficult questions like, okay, so here's the deal. I'm, what Let's just say I decide I'm leaving the institution, but um, my daughter's getting married. How did, you know, what do we do there? And I love, I love how he says, it's like, well, okay, well, let's talk about what the states require. And maybe you go and get, maybe you go to the, the justice of the peace and then you have somebody else perform a celebration for for everybody. I, I just you've thought of a lot of things that I think some people are not going to actually face. Well, those questions are just a lot of what I've had an email. I didn't think of all these things. Yeah. I get asked them all the exactly. time because we we learn to live it in this setting, and then if that shifts, and I'm not saying we can't live it in that setting. We we people can. It's difficult because of the particularly if it's a guilt performance based place, it will exhaust you. Yeah. But if people are learning grace, learning to communicate in life, and there's not that manipulation there and you can have relationships beyond it. And I, and I know people who go to very legalistic congregations, but they're there because there's people there they love and they can tune out all the legalistic garbage and they just invest their lives in people. And I think that's lovely. But if you've decided it doesn't work anymore, that gives you a whole different set of what do I do about my, how my children going to learn this? How? And so those are just email things I've been sending out for a long time to people and answers. There's a whole nother way to look at this where again, we're trusting Jesus to invite our kids into a relationship instead of it's the church's responsibility to give them the rules. One of the things I want to encourage you, if you're listening to our voice, I, I want to encourage you, it doesn't matter if you have left the institution and are on a similar journey that Wayne and I are on and our, and, and even my whole family here. If, if Certainly, if you're on that journey, you'll want to get Finding Church because it, it will help you 
with a lot of the the struggle of the journey. It, it, at least one of the things that has been beneficial to me is is learning from Wayne's experience of not trying. It's like I can't. I'll tell you one of the first things I did is like, okay, who I'm going to create a list of names of all the people I know who don't attend an institution but are believers in Christ. And I and I and I wanted to actually create a group in Facebook that was going to be a closed group that only I wanted to. I wanted to build something. It's like it starts and, so and easily, doesn't it? It does, and so and so. I remember Wayne talking. It's like the, uh, uh, fight the urge to create something new. So much of that's in finding church as well, and and uh, so much of what I've benefited from learning from Wayne's podcast over the years is in this book. I encourage you guys on this journey into the freedom outside of the institution to get this. But for those of you who are listening who are inside the institution, I want to tell you that if you love your church. Uh, that you call, you know, if you love the the congregation that you're a part of, yeah, absolutely. If you find great joy in the music and the worship there, if you find that this is a rewarding and an edifying experience for you and your faith, still read this book because it will help you understand that that what the actual church is, what what relationships are in Christ. And I do believe with you, Wayne. I I, I have seen real relationships. I have seen the church inside the institution. And we need more conversation between those who are in and those who feel like it doesn't work for them anymore. More conversation will serve Jesus' purpose in the world rather than regarding the other group with suspicion and creating that us versus them animosity. So if if you're if God's led you outside of it, look for ways to engage people who might still be inside of it because the cross-pollination of our lives and journeys feeds this rising temple that God's building in which he lives by his spirit. Yeah, and without any agenda for trying to convince them to leave. Yeah, or to change them in any way. Yeah. Just share life with them. Just share life with them. Let the Holy Spirit be the change agent. He's much better at it than we've ever been. Yeah, and even, and even if they actually have the agenda to win you back into it. so Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. I'm not going to do any music here. Wayne and I have to hit the road. I'm going to take him to... A lunch meeting in Cincinnati, but uh, Wayne ribs, th- baby ribs. He's going to the Montgomery Inn Boathouse, and if you guys are ever <laughs> in the Cincinnati area, it's a great place to have lunch. That's and, what I've heard. It's so. My first time here, so we'll see. That's right, Wayne. Thank you so much thank again, you, my friend. Thank you, Cliff. I love you. I love your friendship. Appreciate you letting me come to your home today. Thank you. I, I, it's a blessing, and I love you too, man. And uh, folks, I don't know when I'll be back with my next episode, but I will assume, God willing. I will be back within the next two years. And if you need me to come back to help you do another one, I will. All right. All right. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. God bless. Bye-bye.